have any pottery lovers out there today? It's kind of a random question. Pottery lovers, anybody? Thank you. Very nice. Sophia. <laughs> and some others. I am not a pottery connoisseur myself. But if I was, I'm sure I would especially enjoy the beautiful works of a man by the name of Josiah Wedgwood. Founder of the Wedgwood Company in 1759, he developed improved pottery bodies through, manuf through tireless systematic experimentation. We'll talk about that later. And was the leader of the industrialization of the manufacturing of European pottery. His jasperware, usually described as stoneware, has this unglazed matte biscuit finish and is produced in a variety of colors. The most famous of those would be the pale blue that you see up here near the middle that is now called Wedgwood Blue. Considered a potter of genius, Wedgwood's pottery found itself coveted by everyone. It didn't matter what your status was in society of that day. Everybody wanted it. Queen Charlotte, wife of King George III, ordered a set of cream-colored earthenware. And it pleased her so much that she granted to Josiah the ability to call himself the potter to her majesty. And as a matter of fact, his innovative creamware became known as queensware. Now with his expensive pottery being in such great demand by those who could afford it, Josiah saw fit to make cheaper copies that looked similar so that people of all socioeconomic levels could buy it. As a testimony to his lasting fame, his pottery was used at Queen Elizabeth II's coronation in 1953, and a 1,282-piece dinner service set graced President Roosevelt's White House. His pottery is exquisite, but that's not even why I wanted to talk about Josiah Wedgwood this morning. He is known more so for, I think, being the, in, the innovator of brilliant marketing strategy after brilliant marketing strategy. See if you have heard some of these things that he himself innovated. Things like buy one, get one free. You ever heard of that? Direct mail. Self-service. Walmart just recently became almost self-service here in South Walmart. South Medford. Celebrity endorsements and illustrated catalogs among the many. But I think the most ingenious of his sales innovations was his 100% money back guarantee. Or as some like to call it, satisfaction guarantee. He is credited as the first to have come up with this kind of offer. I guess when you have such confidence in what you are selling, that it's a no-brainer to offer 
a 100% satisfaction guarantee. After all, the more confidence that you can give to someone who is a potential buyer, the more likely they are to want to purchase what you're offering, right? Well, as Pastor Brian said, today we are starting a new sermon series entitled Your Questions Answered. We have six different topics we're going to explore, but as he said, we want you to know that we're trying to answer the best we can uh, young adults' questions that we've been polling from 18 to 29 years of age, and we're not necessarily set on six. If there is something else that you would like to, uh, to pitch to us to address, please do so. Talk to us. Text us. Call us. Email us. Call the church office. There's a variety of ways. However you want to do it, we'd love to hear what you would like for us to talk about. The first topic we're going to talk about today is how can I know that I'm saved? Now many, many people today are wondering if God gives any assurance to this eternal life that he is offering. Guarantees are definitely appreciated and absolutely do make a difference, don't they? They helped make the difference for Wedgwood, who is a master potter of clay. Well, doesn't it make sense then that the master potter of all souls, God himself, would offer a guarantee himself? Well, let's talk about that today. Early on in my walk in Christianity and coming to understand God I had this unspoken feeling inside, maybe you can relate to me, that it wasn't right to have this notion or understanding that I am saved. I just felt like that was not the way I was supposed to think. It was kind of inexcusable to actually say something like that. It was maybe unpardonable even, or maybe anathema, or I, you know, I, I just had that feeling. Maybe you have felt that at some point in your walk, that you're not supposed to believe that you are saved. In other words, I didn't think I was supposed to believe it or ever express it. But I was so delighted when I realized that the Word of God says differently. Let's go to 1 John chapter 5. Many of you know this verse. If you don't, I've commit it to memory. Commit the text, where to find it, to memory too. 1 John 5, 12 and 13. Here is what Paul says. Oh, I'm sorry, not Paul. John, thank you. The beloved disciple says in 1 John 5, he says, Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that what? You may know that you have eternal life. Now let me ask you. Does the word of God definitively say that we can know that we have eternal life? Absolutely. John, the beloved disciple, made sure to record this so that no one would have to question whether it's right or wrong to believe and have assurance of our salvation. So my first answer to the question, how can I know that I am saved, is... 
by saying God's word says so. Amen? That's great. But just because God's word says so, does that mean I necessarily believe it? That's where faith comes in. And God is asking men and women of all ages to have faith in him even even when we don't see it or think that we feel it. 2 Corinthians 5, 7, the Apostle Paul says it this way. He says, for we live by faith, not by sight. That means that even if we don't feel like we're accepted by God, we choose to believe God, take him at his word, regardless of what we see, feel, think, smell, touch, or taste can't use our senses to see it, we can still believe it. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, that great hall of faith chapter begins by saying this. It says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about things that we do not see. So again, God is calling all of those who would follow him to have faith, which again is assurance about what we do not see. Now, I heard about the goodness of God for years growing up. I was in and around church occasionally. I was more so in our church schools from the time of first grade. But it wasn't until my sophomore year of college that I sat down with the Word of God and then chose to have faith in what God says that I can have assurance of his salvation found in Jesus Christ. I grabbed a hold of that assurance, and praise God to this day, I have not turned it loose, nor do I ever plan to turn it loose. Because I realized that I can believe in a promised eternity from my Creator, my Lord, my God. And I'd like to say that I am so delighted that I realized that this faith doesn't have to come from me. As a matter of fact, it was kind of nothing short of a miracle that God worked in my frail human brain. Now, maybe you feel your brain is as frail as mine. Mine is, I felt, very frail because I would always be distracted by things and it would be very hard to focus. But suddenly with God, I was able to have a zeroed-in laser focus on him and the assurance of what he is promising me in his word. And that was nothing short of a miracle that happened to me in college and it happens still every day. It's an absolute miracle for me and I think that it can happen for anyone who reaches out to the Lord and says, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 talks about the role of faith and salvation great one to memorize. Paul here writes and says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God. It's not of works so that no one can boast. So God here is saying, yes, this grace is a gift of God, but also this faith is a gift of God. It's all a gift of God. There's not one part that you can say you work for and boast about. It's all a gift that he does. And notice the tense. Did you notice the tense of how it says it? It is by grace you 
have been saved, not might be saved, not will be, could be, should be, have been saved. Amen? Hallelujah. God's grace is received by faith, this belief that stands even when we can't see it or feel it. God wants us to have this kind of faith. But just because God asks us to have faith, meaning we believe something even though we can't necessarily see it, does that mean that we have no evidences of salvation then? Absolutely not. We do have evidences, and they're scriptural evidences, and I'd like to take you through a couple of those this morning. Check out 2 Corinthians chapter 1, if you'd like to turn there. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, I'll have it on the screen also, verses 20 to 22. I think this text is awesome to talk about some evidence here of our salvation that we can see. It says, Paul says, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. I love how he says that. And so through him, the amen, which is literally, so let it be, this amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Here comes what I want you to hear the next couple of sentences. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand how in Christ? Stand firm. We can be firm. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and here's an evidence, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Paul is giving everyone, not just the Corinthian church, a better understanding of the assurance that we can all have in our relationship with Jesus Christ. He says that we have been given something as a guarantee. What is it? The Holy Spirit. And where is this Holy Spirit going to be? In our hearts, says the Bible. And this Holy Spirit is a guarantee for us. Now, turn to Romans 5, verse 5, because I think it gives us a first clue on how we can see the Holy Spirit in our hearts. How do we see this guarantee, this evidence of the Holy Spirit in our hearts? Romans 5, 5 says, Now hope doesn't disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So how do we, what evidence are we going to see of the Holy Spirit in our hearts? Love, and it's coming from who? From God. As a matter of fact, it says he will pour it out into our hearts. That's awesome. Are there more evidences besides love? What are evidences of the Holy Spirit in our life outside of love? Let me ask you this way. What are evidences that an apple tree is an apple tree? A what? An apple! <laughs> Thank you. An apple. You know it's an apple tree. So, what evidences are there that the Holy Spirit is in our heart that we can see and can help us understand, yes, God is in me. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Don't even have to recite it. Do I, many of you know it by heart, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. Starts there. 
joy and peace, long-suffering and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. This fruit from the Holy Spirit is an evidence that you are in a right relationship with God and it shows that the guarantee is yours. That's something you can see. As a matter of fact, the fruit of the Spirit, I like to call it kind of a benchmark. You know, the closer we walk with God and the longer we walk with God, the more we see these fruits start to just flood in. Amen? And when we see them begin to flood out over time, we realize maybe I'm walking away from Him right now. I need to, to stay close. These fruits, I believe, are kind of a benchmark. And who gets the credit for them again? They're the fruits of Michael, the fruits of the Spirit. That's right, God the Holy Spirit brings them to us. Now, Jesus himself told us that these fruits are an evidence. He said it, our standing with him. Let's go to actual words of Jesus now. Turn to Matthew chapter 7, 15 to 20. Matthew 7, 15 to 20. Jesus tells us we can tell the good from the bad, the genuine from the artificial. Here's what he says. He says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You might know them. You will know them by their fruits, he says. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. You will know. It says it twice. By our fruits, we can know. And praise God, for he supplies these fruits abundantly. He loves to lavish them on any of us who are willing to receive them. And a side note I would like to make is I believe Christianity would explode today even exponentially if all of us as Christians would see how paramount it is that God wants to pour these fruits into our life more than anything else. I think if that happened, we would finish the work more quickly and effectively. Amen. Now, another side note. This guarantee of the Holy Spirit isn't just for our warm and fuzzies. It's great. That's the big reason for it is, yes, our warm and fuzzy feeling of, yes, we can know the Holy Spirit's in our heart. We see that it's not me. It's got to be him doing these things in my life. And that's, that's supposed to give us and help us to see that we have assurance with God. But Paul mentions that this guarantee of the Spirit is also for the context of helping to encourage other people, too, 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Amen. You know, yes, assurance of salvation is comforting. It's wonderful to see the Holy Spirit work in our lives and to see the evidences of that through the fruit of the Spirit. But to know that God wants us to use those to help others find comfort in him as well. That they can have their assurance too 
this is probably the most important work that we can engage in as followers of Jesus Christ. Did you know that Josiah Wedgwood used his comfort of his wealth and fame and fortune for the benefit of others too? As one of the wealthiest entrepreneurs of the 18th century, he used it to help those who needed comfort themselves. You see, Josiah Wedgwood was an abolitionist. He became an abolitionist. You see, his friendship with Thomas Clarkson, an abolitionist campaigner and the first historian of the British abolition movement, aroused his interest in slavery, and Wedgwood helped mass-produce a cameo depicting the seal for the society of the affecting the ab abolition of the slave trade, and he had them widely distributed, which thereby became a popular and celebrated image. This Wedgwood medallion was the most famous image of a black person in all of 18th century Europe in, in its art. It says, am I not a man and a brother? From 1787 until his death in 1795, Josiah Wedgwood actively participated in the abolition of slavery cause. And this slave medallion was mass-produced. As a matter of fact, Thomas Clarkson wrote, Ladies wore them in bracelets and pendants, and others had them fitted up in an ornamental manner as pins for their hair. At length, the taste for wearing them became general, among all people, and thus fashion, which usually confines itself to worthless things, in his opinion, was seen for once in an honorable office of promoting the cause of justice and humanity and freedom. Just as Josiah Wedgwood used his wealth and comfort for the benefit of helping to free others, shouldn't we also then use this comfort and this assurance that we have of the wealth of God's grace that we have accepted to help set other people free from sin too? Amen. So let's recap for a minute. Does the Bible plainly teach that we can have the assurance of salvation and eternal life in Jesus? Yes or no? Absolutely. 1 John 5, 12 and 13 and other texts say so. God's word says so. How do we lay a hold of this salvation? By faith. By faith. Even if we can't feel it, we can still believe it and say, yes, it is mine. Even though I can't necessarily use my senses to grasp it, I'm going to believe it anyway. God's word says it, I believe it. But does faith mean that we have no actual tangible evidence of our assurance of eternal life? Absolutely not. We have assurances. We do have evidences of them and uh, of our eternal life. And what is the biggest evidence that God gives us? The Holy Spirit. And where is it going to be? In our hearts and through love and all the fruit of the Spirit. Awesome. Now, one last answer to the question, how can I know that I'm saved? And I saved the best for last. As a matter of fact, we sang about it this morning. The biggest evidence for the assurance of salvation, did you hear me? The biggest evidence of the assurance of our salvation is the risen Lord Jesus Christ. 
You see, Jesus died for our sins. He rose from the dead, and in doing so, he defeated our worst enemy, the grave. And this fact that has done, that he has done this, and the ramifications of this, which has dramatically affected the world like none other event, probably in world history, this is our biggest guarantee that we are saved. 1 Corinthians 15, 17 says, And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Now I pose to you today, if that's true, then the inverse is true also, isn't it? That if Christ is risen, those of us who profess him are, are not still in our sins, and our faith is the opposite of futile. Amen? Now, follow my logic here. Jesus could have died on the cross and silently slipped back into heaven. Could he have not done that? He could have done that. He could have disappeared from earth and just silently slipped back into heaven, escaping the cruelty of this world. But Jesus didn't choose that route. Instead, and I think he did it for good reason, he waited until early on that Sunday morning when Jesus triumphantly walked out of that tomb and showed himself to his followers. Why did he do that? To give them absolute assurance and fullness of hope. Amen? You see, when you see the risen Lord Jesus Christ, your Savior, your heart has to be full from seeing what he has suffered from you and what he has overcome for you. And when you see that, there's nothing that can stop a Christian from believing that he can or she also can too have victory with him. When the disciples saw the risen Lord Jesus Christ that Sunday, their world suddenly became bright It was changed upside down. It was more colorful, more meaningful, and everything changed for the better, did it not? And did you know that there is not one single story in the Bible of someone who saw the risen Lord Jesus Christ who was not spoken of as one who had salvation and was not spoken of as one who had part in his kingdom? Not one. Oh, brother... Oh, sister, if you're wavering in your faith today, or maybe you've always been unsure, look again to the risen Savior, Jesus Christ, for you. See that that victory he won over sin is for you. See that he conquered death and the grave for you. See that his arms are wide open and that he absolutely does have a mission and a glorious plan for your life. Contemplate the life and the death and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ every day, and I guarantee you that you will not have any doubt, and you will find your assurance. In closing, one last tidbit about Josiah Wedgwood. I've been talking about him the whole time. Might as well finish, right? The famous potter. This is a picture of where he began his work in Burslem, England, quite a different time period back in the mid-1700s. It has been said about him that he was indefatigable in his pottery design. Does anybody know what indefatigable means? I had to look that up actually myself. 
But I found out through Merriam-Webster's help that it means that he could not be fatigued when it came to designing pottery. Could not. He was tireless. Matter of fact, there's a quote that says, Josiah was indefatigable, (laughs) developing new ceramic bodies, enlarging his factory, experimenting, expanding trade, and nurturing his family. He was a Christian. The letters he wrote and the recording of his trials, experiments, and ceramic work were necessarily done by candlelight late at night and even before dawn. He was tireless. Working with clay, it was said that he would work with the design until it would become perfect. As a matter of fact, many times he would have over 400 different experimental trial runs at one glaze until it would become perfect. Here's a picture of some of his many Jasper trial pieces. He loved to try to work with clay from all parts of the world, and so people would send it to him from all over the world, different styles and types of clay According to the Wedgwood website, it says his interest in the properties of clays meant samples were sent to him from all over the world, Cherokee clay from America, Chinese kaolin and other rock from Canton, specimens from Australia, and others collected in the British Isles. The list goes on and on. No one doubts the brilliance and the deserved fame for Josiah Wedgwood when it comes to pottery. But there is one who is better. Amen. Isaiah 64, verse 8 says, But now, O Lord, you are our Father, we are the clay, you are potter, and all we are the work of your hand. See, God is the master potter of everything in the entire universe, above and beyond all that we can even understand that does exist out there. He fashioned each one of us. He cares about us enough that he knows every detail. Even though we fell into sin, he has not stepped away from us his work. Never will he. The Bible says that he never sleeps. Josiah was indefatigable. God invented the idea. He never sleeps. He never slumbers. The Bible says he ever lives to be at work to help us and to shape us into his image. Jesus himself said in John 10, 27 and 28, and he came to give us eternal life, he says, and that no one could snatch us out of his hand. No one can take us out of the potter's hand. I'm so thankful, so thankful that he doesn't stop working with this huge giant clump of clay that's up here in front of you this morning. So glad so thankful that he promises to continue fashioning me and molding me into this incredible work of art to testify of his handiwork throughout the ceaseless ages of eternity. And I'll tell you, there is nothing that makes me happier in this life and forever, I believe, than to testify of the amazing love that God has shown me in my life. I stand before you today to tell you that I 100% believe that I will be with Jesus Christ for eternity. And it's not because of me. It's all because of him. And I know that he loves me enough to give me freedom. I can walk away from him at any time I want, but I'm telling you, I don't want to ever walk away from him. Never. 
With him I have found life to be the fullest. I have no doubt that I will be 100% satisfied with him for eternity. I want you, brother and sister, this morning to have full assurance of your salvation too if you haven't already found that already in Jesus. It is an incredible gift and it's yours for the taking. Won't you take it today as it is freely offered? It comes with a full guarantee. And so many benefits, so many evidences of that guarantee that are awesome, and I wouldn't want to live life without them. Anything this valuable, this salvation offered, anything this valuable is easy to sell with a guarantee. Just ask Josiah Ledgewood. Let's pray. Stand with me if you would. Father in heaven, we are just so thankful that you fashioned each one of us and we have life today because you loved us enough to create us. Lord, if you loved us enough to do that, your word says you love us enough to give us a guarantee that we will be with you in paradise soon. Lord, I thank you that you are willing to pour your Holy Spirit into our lives. And Lord, today we reach hold of you by faith, meaning even right now, if we can't feel that it's really for us, we're going to still grab a hold of it anyway and say, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. And Lord, I know that you can work the same miracle for every single person here that you work for me. Lord, today we choose you. Today we decide to have that assurance in you, and we cannot wait to spend eternity with you in paradise soon. Bless these folks today and this weekend. We love you, and thank you, Jesus, for your amazing sacrifice. Amen and amen.